Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Alex Israel on Parashat Bereshit. Did you know that Pardes from Jerusalem is now available on Spotify? Follow us there for our weekly parasha episodes, or you can visit elmod.pardes.org for other great digital content. Shalom. This week we read about the story of creation. We read about the creation of light and the seven days, and it's also hopeful and wonderful. How surprising then that our parsha ends with the on the brink of disaster, with the God's decision to destroy humankind and to destroy civilization, with the announcement of the great flood. The Parsha begins with God commenting on every act of creation that it is tov. We read right at the beginning, He sees the light, it is good. About everything that he creates, In fact, at the end of the seven days, or the end of the sixth day, God saw everything he created, and it was exceedingly good. Everything is tov, tov, tov. But turn to chapter 6, and you read the following verses, which focus on the word ra. Vayar Hashem, once God, again, God looks, but he sees ki raba, ra'at adam ba'aretz. Great was the evil of humans in the world. V'chol yetzem akshavot libo rak ra kol hayom. And all the inclination, all his thoughts, all his heart is solely evil all day long ra 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 at adam rak rakolayom and at this point by yinachem hashem kiasaita adam ba'aretz god regrets how he has made human beings in the world and in a great anthropomorphism here by yitatsev elibo it upset god deeply it hurt his heart so wow from such great hope and fresh beginnings the parsha ends in collapse in moral turpitude in god's decision to destroy everything he's created this week we're going to turn right to the end of the parsha to chapter six and examine that generation the generation in which everything went wrong we're going to read some of the most cryptic or difficult verses in the whole Torah. Let's take a look. I'll read from the beginning of chapter 6. And when men began to multiply over the faiths of the earth, and daughters were born to them, Elohim, the sons of Elohim, of God, saw the daughters of man, that they were very good or beautiful. They took women from whoever they chose. God said, My spirit will not abide in humans forever. After all, he is just flesh. And his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were in the world at that time. 
And even afterwards, when the sons of God came on the daughters of man, and they gave birth to those great giborim, those strong people, those warriors, who were the men of repute. These are very, very strange verses. Of course, who are the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God? And what did they want with the Benota Adam, with the daughters of man? Why does God then condemn what they do? Why does he say, and what does he mean when he says, their days will only be 120 years? People lived after this for, for, for a very long time. Noah himself lived 950 years. So what does he mean? Their days will be 120. And then we read of people called Nephilim, great warriors, Giborim, and Sheshem. What's happening here? I'm going to share two different approaches, very divergent and diverse approaches, which uh, will take us, hopefully, to, to analyse these verses. And we're going to start with maybe what might be called the, the, the more mythic reading, a reading that you can find uh, quoted by the Ramban, but is it's also found in very early commentators like Josephus, um, but we'll read it from Pirkei to Rabbi Eliezer, um, a 8th century Midrash. And here we go. Rabbi Omer ra'u ha-malachim shenaflu mimakon kudushatam in ha-shamayim et benot kain malchot gluyot basar erva umikhol enehem kizonot v'tawach rehem. So here we have a statement in the name Rebbe, Rabbi Yehud HaNasi, who says that the angels, the Bnei HaElohim, are the sons of God. They're actually angels. And they fell from their holy place in heaven. Why? Because they saw the daughters, the descendants of Cain, walking about the world naked, with their eyes painted like harlots. And they went astray after them, and they took wives from among them. And as is said, and the sons of Elohim saw the daughter of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives of who they chose. Rabbi Joshua said, The angels are flaming fire, as it says, His servants are a flaming fire. But when they fell from heaven, from that holy place, their strength and stature became like that of the sons of men, and their frame was made of clods of dust. As it is said, and they quote from Job, my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. And now the last statement. Rabbi Tzadok Omer, Mehem nolduha anakim, from, the, from them were born the giants who walked with pride in their heart. Hamhalchim begova, koma. And they send forth their hand to all kinds of robbery, violence, and shedding of blood, as it says. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, etc., etc. What is happening according to this reading? Again, from Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, um, quoted and, and, and rejected, actually, by the Ramban. But how would we say uh, what is happening here? This seems very mythological. I mean, we know many, many cultures and much mythology where we um, see that um, there are gods who 
cohabit um, and create offspring with human beings. And that seems to be what it's saying here, that there were sort of angelic, godly um, creations who cohabit with the Bnei Elohim. Those are sort of gods of sorts who see the Banotta Adam, the human women. They desire them and they create offspring who are either giants or they're very, very strong. Now, this is a fascinating theme which we know from mythology, the birth of Hercules and other gods, where gods mate with human beings and create sort of superhuman um, demigods. Um, some commentators, um, if you see the writings of Avigdor Shinan and Yair Zakovich, say that there are other places in Breshit where we seem to almost feel that there's an attempt to fuse heaven and earth. For example, in the Garden of Eden, when the snake says, You'll be like a god who will know good and evil, as if the snake is trying to tempt human beings to sort of, you know, try and step into the divine domain. Likewise with Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel, where they say that we want to make a tower of and the Midrash amplifies this and says they, they sort of like didn't like it that the gods inhabited the upper worlds and human beings the lower worlds. And here we see a sort of a fusion where um, the gods are mating with human beings and creating these um, superheroes, super, super, you know, uh, demigods and um, this might be very troubling from a traditional perspective because what exactly are we we trying to say from this story now if we go back to our text then the way we're going to read it is in the following way that it says that um, men began to increase on the earth there were more women in the earth and uh, the angels saw the beautiful women um, on this world and they wanted to they desired them but now here's the critical thing which makes this not something out of mythology but makes it into Torah. Because when God sees that these um, demigods were in fact um, giborim, they were mighty and they were practicing as we see later on in the story of the flood um, that it says society had destroyed itself the world was full of violence. It mentions this idea of all flesh had perverted its way, had corrupted its way in the world. Uh, who's the cause of all of this? These are going to be the people who are the mighty, the people who are the giants, the people who have all the power. And what does God say? God says... My spirit will not endure in man forever. After all, he is but flesh and his days will be 120 years. Many people want to read this as saying, I'm giving them 120 years to shape up. I'm giving society 120 years to reform itself. But whichever way, what it seems to be saying is very, very clear. Um, you know, imagine that you are coming from a society where these mythologies are true and 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 people really believe that the gods have mated with human beings and created uh, the rulers of society, the mighty warriors. Here, 
The Torah is coming and making a very, very strong statement. God is saying, never forget. I am in control. You angels might have cohabited with human beings, but you are but flesh. And I am the one who decides. And I'm going to decide on one criteria, one criteria only. How moral is society? In this way, Sefer Bereshit totally moves away from mythology. There are no battles of the gods here to see who is stronger. It is unequivocal. God is in the driving seat. God judges his world on the basis of its morality. And even these fallen angels and these mighty warriors, which are some sort of like fusion of human beings and gods, have no power. If they're going to act unethically, if they're going to act in a degenerate way, then God is going to destroy his world. There is a very, very clear moral statement being made here. And there's a very clear statement about God's ultimate power and uh, the way that he judges uh, his creations. Our second reading comes from Rashi. And Rashi is going to identify the Baneha Elohim um, as not the sons of gods or some sort of fallen angel. But in fact, he says, Baneha Elohim, and I'll read from Rashi, Baneha Sarim Shoftim, the sons of the princes, of the governmental figures and the judges. He says, uh, for example, Kol Elohim Mikra Lashon Marut. Every Elohim in scripture is an expression of authority or government. Um, and he proves it from Exodus, where talking about uh, Aaron and Moses, he says, and you shall be to him as a Lord. Now, what did these people do? What does it mean they took women? And here um, he he brings a, a, something that probably Jews in ancient times, this comes from uh, Bereshit Rabbah, a fourth century Midrash, and uh, they knew this from Roman society. And he says they would take the beautiful women, Mikol Asher from whoever they chose. And Rav Yudin writes, when they would beautify her, adorned to enter into the nuptial canopy and to be married, the nobleman would enter her and have relations with her first. This is the um, practice known as prima noctus that uh, sometimes vanquishing armies used to try and create, drive terror into a population. When they knew there was a wedding in the local village, they would take the bride and the local, I don't know, centurion or the person in charge would uh, actually be sexually intimate with the bride and thereby frustrate and destroy the joy of the entire wedding. Um Mikol Asher Bacharu, Rashi says, Afbulat Baal Afazakhar Vahabeima. Um even a married woman, even uh, sexual relations with animals. In other words, uh, what's happening here, according to Rashi? Maybe I'll read from, from the Ramban. Uh, you can see it on the on the source sheet. Bnei uh, Elohim says the Ramban. Bnei Asarim Shoftim, And he says, If this is true, then scripture relates that the judges... And here's the critical phrase, whose duty it is to administer justice among them. They committed open violence without anyone interfering. The word Elohim, as we see it in many places in Torah, I would refer you to Parshat Mishpatim, where you take, for example, the Eved Ivri to the door, and you vigishel balabait elha Elohim. Elohim usually means the Beit Din, the judiciary, the judges. 
And here we're talking about a situation whereby the people in charge, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one other example, which is so clear. Um, if you remember the story of Dina, where you have a local lord, uh, Hamor, and his son Shechem sees a foreign girl, a vulnerable girl, her name is Dina, and he grabs her and rapes her and has his way with her. And um, this is a situation that you find throughout Sefer Bereshit, where you find lots of situations. Um, Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt and Sarah is compromised. Abraham and Sarah go to the Philistines and they take Sarah away again. Um, the vulnerable people come to the city of Sodom and they are sexually compromised. Joseph is a vulnerable slave in Egypt and he's sexually compromised. The people who have the power feel that they can have their way sexually with other people. And if this is true, then what we're reporting is a complete breakdown of law and order, which in, in turn creates a, a, an absolute breakdown of society. Because when you can't rely on the authorities, when you can't rely on the forces of law to pronounce law, if you can't rely on the police to create order, then what is left? What is left of society? And here, uh, what we're going to begin to say is that B'nai Elohim, the sons of the judges, the sons of government, who have all the power, the legal power, see the Banota Adam, see whichever women they like, Kitovotena, whoever they desire, and they take um, women from whoever they choose. And now God says, you know, you've got a hundred, society like this cannot last more than 120 years. In the next verses, it talks about the Giborim, Ansheshem, warriors, and what have you. But of course, if you are a warrior, if you have great strength, you are there in order to sustain society and not to destroy it. In this environment, we're not, in Rashi's reading and Ramban's reading, we're not talking about some mythological background, we're talking about an abuse of power. And this is fascinating because um, one can see, and here in the Chamalibowitz wrote a fascinating article called The Decline of Man where she describes that the first sin was a sin in the Garden of Eden, where human beings tried to begin to flex their own muscles and to sort of have their way, even though they had other instructions. In the second story of Bereshit, the story of Cain and Abel, um, Cain found himself in a position inferior to his younger brother. God had accepted Abel's sacrifice instead of Cain, and instead of Cain bettering himself, he decides to use violence in order to get rid of his younger brother, in order to get rid of his shame. The third stage, says Nechama Leibovitz, is a story I can't quite get into now, but it's the story of Lemech, where Lemech boasts that anybody who bruises him, he will kill him and his son. This is the beginning of solving all your problems by violence. This is not um, murder in hot blood, but this is a systemic violence and this reaches a, a a terrible low point in chapter six here where it's not only various different uh, criminal groups who decide or, or various different violent groups in the society who start using violence as a system but here in order to satiate their desires we have the forces of law and order who have become completely and 
um, incurably corrupt and society is falling apart and this is why God decides that he has to uh, you know um, all of society is being corrupt become corrupt before God and the land has become lawless or become violent and God looked at society and it had become corrupt all of society had just corrupted its ways there's nothing to be saved in this regard Sefer Bereshit or Parashat Bereshit I should really say is really a very sobering one and um, it really tells us something about the nature of society and the ease possibly with which society can corrupt itself whether it's um, forces in society who call themselves gods and let's remember that kings in the ancient world saw themselves as sort of divine beings and so did other people who thought they had blue blood running through their veins likewise um, Bereshit is telling us if we follow Rashi and Ramban's approach how easy it is that sometimes uh, forces of law fall foul of temptation and uh, don't live up to the really important legacy that they have of uh, being the pillars um, of law and order, the pillars of morality. And God is telling us here so that even despite all the hope and optimism with which human beings were created, there is a, a strong propensity within society we've seen it anybody who reads history to be self-destructive to exploit the vulnerable to abuse power and if this is so and if one engages in immoral acts in this way then uh, Hashem explains very clearly that society cannot abide many of us have critiques of our current societies in, in many of our countries but we can thank be very very thankful that we do live in a world of law and order and that none of our countries are anywhere near this level. And yet, I think this is a cautionary tale. And it's fascinating that the Torah is so um, savvy um, to be able to begin, not with some sort of uh, optimistic uh, fairy story, but in fact to tell us a very, very sobering account of um, the more negative, uh, poisonous tendencies which lie in the human heart and uh, to really warn humanity um, the consequences of allowing those sorts of feelings or those sorts of emotions to be able to be given free reign because they can really cause calamity. Wishing everybody a Shavua Tov and a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us and uh, looking forward to learning again together soon. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Be sure to visit us on Spotify, where you can subscribe to any of our other podcast channels, or visit us at elmod.pardes.org. Thanks for listening.